"'Twas the night before Yuletide. And all through the town. Winter witches were bringing... The patriarchy down! To its knees. Message of peace on earth and goodwill to all people. <laughs> That's so sweet. We Aww. love them. Otis is our, like our little tiny Tim. He well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I know he's just asking for more pizza. <laughs> Can you blame him though? No. You know it I is can't. the holiday season. Even Tiny Tim oh, was I looking know. for that razzleberry dressing or whatever. I guess that's only in the was. in the Mr. Magoo version. Is that really think, what he was looking for? I don't think Razzleberry dressing exists outside of the Mr. Magoo universe. That's like a Willy Wonka thing, isn't it? Like, what the snowberry? <laughs> you know, traditional traditional British holiday feasts that have stuff like the oh, they eat the worst stuff: who beast and, and Razzleberry dressing. And, no offense. Uh, yeah. No Your offense fans. to the British. But I mean, <laughs> you know, the cuisine, you know, some of it is good, I'm sure. But, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome to our <laughs> Yuletide episode. I guess we're starting the episode. Right? Psyche, you right? need to edit that out. And Are we right I don't there? alienate our British audience. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hey, Great Britain, your food sucks. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I'm actually a little British myself, believe it or not. So um, I'm sure, you know, if you live there long enough, you acquire a table. I think anyway, we all are, yeah. So, I believe uh, so. Tis the season of nail polishes with names like Icicle and Blizzard. <laughs> And I, I say that because I have painted my nails with um, this beautiful silver called Icicle. And I'm going to be talking about ice. Um, the ever-present danger. Beautiful, yet terrifying. And it's a wonderful part of Yule. I think that it's important for us all to be cautious uh, when we're walking under large icicles. Uh, ice kills. Anyway, yeah, it does. Um, it does. That's pretty much all I've got to say. <laughs> I always like Are a we, reminder we... <laughs> of icicles slaughtering people while they're walking down yeah. the street around it's this time of year. But it's also the perfect murder weapon. <laughs> right, no fingerprints. No yeah, evidence. You know what? Your DNA might be in the melted water, though. You, you know? know, I actually spent <laughs> way too much time on Reddit and Quora trying to see, is an icicle a perfect murder weapon? But really, it's too brittle. I, I don't mean, know if we have the right disclaimer for this episode. 
This episode may include dialogue relating to acts of murder. We absolutely should have a disclaimer because a lot of these characters are really brutal. Yeah. Just like the winter. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, we're going to be talking about winter witches in the Yuletide season, as well as other winter spirits, and it's going to be full of violence and (laughs) disturbing imagery. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sensitive audiences (laughs) may not want to listen, but I suggest you do, because I think that the conversation we're going to have about balancing out a very patriarchal Yule season is worth tuning in for. Absolutely. Shall we get into the news for today? The news. We shall. (laughs) We shall, in fact. So the news, in case you haven't heard, is the news with some woo in it. And first up on the news, recently, an End Times preacher named Sharon Gilbert went viral on Twitter when a clip was circulated of her November interview on the Jim Baker show. It's spelled like Backer, but I guess it's pronounced Baker. Um, Oh, that's uh, Tammy Faye's widower. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just so you know who we're dealing with, Jim Baker is a televangelist and prosperity gospeler, a convicted fraud, and alleged rapist who once opened a Christian water park that has been described as Disney World plus Salvation. Oh no! (laughs) It was called Heritage USA and was opened during the 1980s before Hurricane Hugo thankfully raptured it right out of commission. Uh, Well done, Hugo. Well done. (laughs) And I have no idea what the current Jim Baker show itself is like normally, but in this particular episode, they were promoting a new conspirituality documentary about alien visitations within the context of their connections to demons and fallen angels, (laughs) which is being released on DVD and is rather humorously entitled The Great Delusion. (laughs) (laughs) during the interview sharon gilbert describes an encounter she claims to have had in bed with an extraterrestrial masquerading as both her husband and also claiming to be xerxes (laughs) the fourth king of kings of the achaemenid empire who ruled from 486 to 465 bc That's super specific. (laughs) (laughs) You can Google it for all of the entertaining details, but my favorite ridiculous quote is as follows. I knew that it was not Derek, and so I asked this critter, Who are you? Because he clearly (laughs) wanted to have sexual relations. And he said, Come on, I'm your husband. She then goes on to describe how the fake Derek returned with a host of gargoyle-like creatures, was later revealed to be a reptilian in a mask, 
and was only finally exercised from her bedroom and husband when she was able to speak the name of Jesus Christ out loud. Wow, that's all it took, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Next in the news, <coughs> Senator Kirsten Gillibrand recently introduced a proposal for an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, which would create an Anomaly Surveillance and Resolution Office in order to study UFOs, aka UAPs, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. The proposal has a lot of bipartisan support, actually, which we know in this day and age is a rare thing in ye olde United States Congress comprised of more or less 50% bad dudes at any and all times. One neat mm-hmm. part of this development is that the office would require regular public reports and disclosure if the government actually has any secret materials relating to UFO incidents or any interesting data on the subject, like possible health effects of exposure to UFO events and things like that. Which I'm sure you know. However, (laughs) we're talking about a military office, and according to an article on usnews.com, which, forgive me, I have no idea what usnews.com's affiliation is politically, but during the week of Thanksgiving, supposedly, the Pentagon announced that it had just formed something called the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. According according to that same article, some researchers characterize this latest move by the Pentagon as an insulting attempt to run around specific efforts by civilian organizations and leaders in Congress to exercise greater oversight over the government's study of UFOs. So basically, don't get too excited for anything cool to happen because the Department of Defense is still the same Department of Defense that doesn't want you to know anything. And in reality, I think they are actually more interested in whether or not UFOs could be spy technology or like new weapons in development by other nations. So like, who needs a blowing up, basically? This is exactly why, okay, the aliens want nothing to do with us because we have (laughs) instinctively, uh, you know, this group has this warlike mentality. Everything is about mine, mine, mine. It's not yours. And you said a thing about bipartisan support. Well, I'm not surprised that this would be what garners (laughs) bipartisan support, because, of course, it's a common enemy. The fear of the unknown, the fear of the other. So obviously, you know, these aliens who are probably just like swinging by and, you know, laughing at us because... (laughs) We're like their reality show. And we can't Um, even establish a heckin' democratic style office to take care of (laughs) looking at things from a scientific perspective it's all all of a sudden it has to be by default militaristic and that is just so sad no wonder they have only given us fleeting glimpses of themselves because we are not ready we are not ready as a species we are a savage warlike baby race and i think q said that on star trek (laughs) the next generation the first episode and you know what 
He was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> Wait, I did I just agree with myself? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, and so do you. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, but also I agree. Uh, <laughs> in other other news the LA Times recently ran an article covering a growing trend on Instagram and Facebook wherein scammers create accounts to look like those of popular spiritualists, psychics, tarot readers, and astrologers and then they reach out to people in their DMs with stuff like the ancestors are drawing me to your energy I feel compelled to give you a reading and then once they have the person's payment from a cash app, they disappear or they block you with no communication. Oh, that's horrible. So the tarot lady um, was going through that a little while ago because I do remember, um, you know, I follow her and yeah. she said she was, uh, there were people posing as her using a fake account and contacting people trying to get their payment information in exchange for a reading and that's you know yep. actually i got a message from that fake account it was something like you just want to contest blah 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 blah. so yeah it it is out there and it's dangerous watch your wallets everybody and <laughs> definitely watch your wallets uh and also this has especially been a problem for unfortunately black and brown practitioners uh, because unfortunately it further stigmatizes the already traditionally very stigmatized wellness and spirituality communities as being full of con artists and also just the whole history of, you know, black and brown traditions being uh, treated like some kind of weird woo-woo, untrustworthy nonsense and things like mm -hmm. that. Instagram especially is the platform that seems to be tailored best to spiritualists. However, Instagram does very little to follow up with and or crack down on these imposters in a meaningful way. Usually, if you report a fake account, the report is never seen by a real person and nobody can make important distinctions because of that. And then Instagram doesn't really offer a way for most people in the spiritual community to get their accounts verified. As a result, a lot of astrologers and others have been forced to shut down their Instagram accounts altogether, which I know the Fat Feminist Witch did recently, in order to avoid having their reputations get mixed up with these scammers and like consequently receiving a lot of really stressful hate messages and all kinds of things. I didn't know the Fat Feminist Witch did. Oh my god, that's yeah. so sad. I love her. Me too. And I think it's great that this topic is getting some media coverage because it does seem as though Facebook and Instagram, whether accidentally or on purpose, discriminate against the spiritual community and the spiritual arts. And it seems like media attention is the only way to hold social media platforms accountable to a meaningful extent. And they actually make so much money off of witchy content and the witchy mm -hmm. community. And then in return, they apparently have no regard for user experience or people's identities or their brands, their careers. And it's annoying even for folks who don't use Instagram professionally. And I know, like you mentioned, getting those messages, I 
for instance, a couple of weeks ago, personally had like 18 different spam and scammer accounts follow me within like a two-day period. And I kept Ugh. reporting them and I kept removing them from my follower list. And they would just add another letter to the username or something and follow me again. And all the while they were pretending to be the same exact astrologer or tarot reader <laughs> just over and over and over again. And it's a ridiculous nuisance, even if you're just a user on the yeah. app. Uh, meanwhile, people, as you mentioned, also are getting scammed out of their hard-earned money. And most real practitioners will tell you point blank, they'll never DM you to proposition you for a reading. So that's something to keep in mind. And, you know, never ever send someone a cash app payment if you can't tell for sure who they are. Yesterday, right. I saw a post by Witch of Southern Light on Instagram encouraging his followers to just have like long time wasting conversations with the scammers and troll them as much as possible and then send him screenshots or tag him, <laughs> which I think <laughs> is a great idea and um, really funny, like turn this nuisance into entertainment for ourselves. Well, wow. uh, Celine, you kind of do that when you get text spam, right? You, I frequently see yeah. uh, your class yeah. Sister Celine is a master <laughs> of the art in that regard. <laughs> I get so many texts from, like, real estate people who seem to think I'm somebody named Amelia who has right. this really impressive house, and they're always asking me, and, you know, usually if I've got enough time, like five minutes or whatever, I'll, I'll come up with random stories and I'll just like ridiculous things like, you know, oh, I'm the troll witch queen. I think I said one time. Yeah, you said something about living under you. a bridge and you, <laughs> yeah. you didn't have time. I because... my property. I live under a bridge or, um, <laughs> you know, no, you know, that was my significant other and they got eaten by sharks and you know this is very troubling for me how dare you and then i did the most recent one was i was a cryogenically frozen head and i was uh just very upset because this person rudely awakened me from my cryo slumber and i told them that i would be back in touch in 2025 when my cycle was complete because she was making me lose my cool. That one is one and for the history books, I think. <laughs> yeah, but on Instagram, I can't tell you. I run like a comics Instagram and like um, a video game Instagram. So I have like a few different ones. And nine times out of 10, the first posts or any kind of engagement I'll get will be like, a bot account saying like promote it on blah 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 and it's like yeah. oh my god and i see that on like everybody's account it's it's literally like the first thing so there's a huge bot problem i mean they're really like the borg if you're familiar with star trek <laughs> they're just they everywhere really they're trying to assimilate you and um bring you into their fold and their frequency modulation is always going so you've got to constantly mix it up and um yeah, it's it bad news bears all the way. Even I gotta if say, you mm -hmm. are a business owner and you promote your posts, also I feel like Facebook and Instagram haven't done a good enough job weeding out the click farms, and so sure, yeah. you never know if people are actually seeing your promoted post. I think it's really shystery 
of them to say that they can take your money and promote your post and then have it turn out that like 50% of the people clicking like are these completely fake accounts when you go and you visit their page it's like bob from iowa and he graduated from such and such university and he's like an 85 year old man Mm -hmm. with like football stuff all over his profile Mm -hmm. and it doesn't make any sense that he would be interested in like skincare for witches (laughs) like skincare for young witches and things like that. It just it's it's so mind boggling. It's a weird world now these days. It really is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in more And it gets weirder. <laughs> in more festive news, and lastly for my portion of the of the news, why did I make the news a word that I will just stumble on into eternity? <laughs> <laughs> It's a tough one. Why did I do this? Anyway. Anyway, lastly, there's a new Danish Christmas horror series on Netflix called Elves, which is super fun and festive. If you enjoy watching people get slaughtered for disturbing a sacred forest, which is something that I always find comforting, especially during the holidays. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was just looking for something to watch on Netflix. Um little segue about Netflix um, I discovered a movie that was witchy that I really liked that I had never even uh, heard of before called From Within and I, I don't know Psykea have you seen that? I don't From think Within? I have no it has Thomas Decker in it who is just <laughs> such a little snack cake anyway <laughs> he's in it and um you know, some other people are also in it, and um, it's a great film, and it's about, uh, the, I don't want to spoil it, but it's very witchy. It's like the story of, like, you know, this it, it this kind of, like, um, internalized kind of, basically, okay, I'll break it down for you, <laughs> walnut style. So, <laughs> it's, uh, you know. Like a brain internal- in sections. Yeah. Absolutely. The internalized homophobia of uh, the fundamentalist church in this small Maine town or Maryland. Is it Maryland or Maine? I don't know. And uh, it's one of those M states. And, uh, you know, it basically leads to this horrible situation where um, a witch has been brutalized by a community of like raging fundamentalists. Anyway, she has two sons. And a curse happens, a curse is spoken, and it spreads like a plague. There's all of these, like, self-inflicted murders and doppelgangers and a star-crossed lover situation. It's a very good film. You know, at first, there were parts of it I didn't care for, like what happened to, um, spoiler alert, never mind. But at the same time, you know, there are uh, other situations where I was like, wow, Makes you think. What's that other one where it's also like it appears to be a religious community? It's really amazing. I I watched it just mm. recently. Is it the Black um, Mass? I've heard good things about that it, one. Um, is it? I don't know. <laughs> oh, but that Thomas Decker. What a little snack cake. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Thomas Decker, if you're listening, we love you. We love you, Thomas Decker. <laughs> I think that's his name. Wait. <laughs> I hope so. After all that. Thomas Decker. Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. Not yeah. The Black Midnight Mass, Mass is Midnight. the other one. Yeah. It's not exactly seasonally festive, but it's incredible. Very, very uh, violent and dark, however. We love it. Yeah, yeah we love the only, um, I haven't watched it, and honestly, the only real thing I like heard about it was from a Reddit sub about miscarriages, and to just warn people that, surprise, there's some kind um, of horrifying miscarriage scene, and to just be prepared happens. for that if that's something you've gone through. So oh, that's all I really know about it. This sort of thing happens... I think with so many different shows, I think they need a different category, you know, because the little warning will pop up in the corner and it'll be like, you know, violence of a graphic nature, like sexual But they should content. definitely be more specific with there that. There should be other is things. There should uniquely be, uniquely yeah. yeah. I don't know and, if they, right. if they mention suicide. Child loss, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And that's all right. They absolutely want to watch a, a a fun film about people getting their comeuppances and little Thomas Decker snap case, and you know you're having a good time, <laughs> and then all of a sudden that happens, and you're like, "Well, shit," you yeah. know, you just yeah. ruined my fucking day. Excuse my language. <laughs> yeah, there are but, days uh, when I'm ready for that, when I'm like ready for that kind of thing, and days when I'm not ready for that kind of thing. You know, you might be ready for like people getting stabbed in the neck, but you might not be ready for, like, people getting, like, other parts of their body chopped off or something. Like, distinctions are important. They sure are. As are trigger warnings and specific trigger Mm -hmm. warnings. And, you know, that's, uh, it's something that even the most well-intentioned of us forget. I recently got called out for not crediting my sources on pictures that I share on one of my Instagrams, which is something that I was guilty of, and I didn't even realize it. See, some mm. of us just gloss over, and I wasn't doing it maliciously. Yeah. Well, um, but I think now that's I know. like, for a long time, it wasn't even something anyone thought of mm-hmm. on social media, really. Which is like, I is like an oversight is regrettable, but um, I feel like. That still happens on Facebook a lot. People just, oh, yeah, they yeah. don't include any kind of credit for things. They're just posting, like, yeah. willy-nilly stuff all yeah. the time. But my husband <laughs> even said, you know, he's a graphic designer, and he has had his designs blatantly used. And he was like, you know, if I was one of your people on your Instagram, I would report you. And I said, Wow. Wow. <laughs> You know, Rufo, you're right. Artists are people, too. And that's something that, you know, if you create something, you do deserve credit for. So I said to myself, no, 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 that's right. <laughs> so you got to do it right. Uh, did you have a news? I yeah, sure news did. Topic? And I'm going to drop it on you like it's hot. <laughs> or baby, like it's cold. Baby, it's cold outside. Well, for this family, it was extra cold. And I'm not joking about it because it's really freaking scary what happened to them. Um, So a New Jersey family out in uh, Burlington County, actually, um, which is kind of far from our general vicinity. It's like in 
central Jersey, I believe. But um, they're grateful to be alive after a massive chunk of ice came, and not a chunk. I, I think when you think of the word chunk, you think of like, I, I do anyway, chocolate chunk. This is not that size. <laughs> this is like a glacier. I it hope was like that I think of, a, of that when I think of the word chunk. It was a chunk, chunk of an iceberg came crashing through the ceiling while this poor woman was uh, giving medicine to her baby. And, um, you know, she was very lucky. She was quoted as saying, I was giving my baby this medicine and we just walked out of the kitchen. And nice. then she heard something come through that sounded like an explosion. Uh, they went back in her and her husband, and they saw this massive hole in the roof. Ice was everywhere. The ice was so large and heavy that it ended up ripping the kitchen cabinet doors off its hinges. Frozen ice debris not only littered her kitchen, but was also spotted outside of the house. So there's ice on the grass, in the backyard, on the roof. Almost wow. as if Where some did it come from? giant dress Nobody or witch had knows. dropped it. Nobody knows where the ice came from. They believe that the chunk may have fallen from a plane. Now, do you all remember mm -hmm. that urban legend about people's pee getting frozen in the blocks and being yeah. released from the airplanes? So, okay. So that's what they were thinking that it was. However, that is usually called blue ice and mm. it's because the toilet the turlet there has a special <laughs> juice in it and it's blue and it's for cleansing and cleaning and it keeps it minty fresh and so it gives it a blue hue this was clear <laughs> ice it was not blue ice and this will be released from the bathroom holding of the plane when the tank leaks freezes and falls off but the ice that hit this family's home was clear. Clear ice typically does form on the plane's surface due to moisture in the air. But considering that we are going through an unseasonably warm December, I really find that quite suspect. Although there have been cases where ice has formed around gears, struts, and tail sections of a plane while it's flying, and then fallen. Never to this extent. So, since the air in the area was damp with windy conditions, meteorologists say that a plane could possibly be the source of the mysterious chunk, and there were two planes that were flying over the area during the time of the incident, but everything is still not settled. It's not Do you know how big the chunk was? How like was it the size of like a car or? So we, what, what chunk are we talking? If we're not talking chocolate chunk, we kind of. No, we're not talking we're chocolate chunk. We're talking the size of, like, I would say at least, um, not a car, but like a large table, like a large coffee mm. table type chunk. It's so mm. it's a big sizable thing, and it was like yeah. a meteor made of ice. And it just shot right through. Now, for ice to actually penetrate the material that a roof is made out of, it would have to be pretty hard. So I'm not saying that one of the winter witches we're going to be discussing cast a hex on, on the <laughs> That's thing. what I was going to say. But I'm saying that it's probably the case. 
No, but, I'm kidding. And I mean, all respect to this poor family. I'm sure that was a very horrifying experience, but it's yeah. very, very strange and very um, unlikely to have been ice from a plane. So I don't know if it's just a freak weather phenomenon from, you know, global warming and the climate changing and all sorts of, you know, we're seeing these horrible tornadoes that rocketed through Kentucky and, you know, literally every other day it's a new weather phenomenon. So it could be something related to that. I don't know. But it, for ice to be that hard and fall <laughs> through their roof, that's pretty scary and pretty woo-woo. I think anyway. Yeah. I've got a bit of news myself. I had two items of news. However, upon attempting to research one, um, you know, I gave up is the is the short story. Uh, the <laughs> listeners may not know I have a sociology degree, uh, which means that I don't have a job. And... Um, <laughs> But, you know, uh, sociological happenings does interest me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was going to make an attempt of taking a massive, you know, streaming service like Netflix and look at their Christmassy, Yuletide, etc. offerings right. and sort of look at the comparison between, you know, the men-centric stories and the women-centric stories and, like, what the sort of plots between the two. It was sort of prompted by seeing a new movie pop-up called Christmas Boy, you know? So I was like, oh, I wonder what, like, you know, the percentages are and what the main plot points are. I was going to quantify all of that and report it here in the news, but it was so vapid and terrible <laughs> that I couldn't possibly put myself through it. So I gave up. So that's that story in the news. Well, I um, think we can safely assume that there are, you know, and we'll come back to this later, but there are, there are definitely vastly more male Yule and Christmas characters featured in pop culture than there are, like, any witches or female characters. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For the um, most part. Which brings me to the news that I do have, which is about uh, actress, comedian, producer, and writer Aubrey Plaza. Who we love. Who... Um, you know, uh, I know her from Parks and Rec, mm -hmm. but uh, she's been in like tons of movies and TV shows and stuff. And when I was looking into her sort of um, acting history and such, I found out something that I was not aware of. That first of all, Grumpy Cat, rest in power, has a movie called Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas. Aww. And Aubrey Plaza does the voice of Grumpy Cat, which oh is I didn't know just that. Perfect. That's yeah, it was, came out in 2014, so I'm going to check that out. You should, too. Um, but she wrote a book called The Legend of the Christmas Witch. Cute. And, Aww. yeah, so uh, it just came out, like, maybe a month ago. I'm not 100% sure, like, the exact date. But the synopsis of the story, which I have not read. I am going to buy this book 100%, but I have not read it yet. But essentially, there are these two twins that share the, quote, gift of swiftness that live in the forest. And uh, essentially, Mr. and Mrs. Kringle come and find these two children and to lure off Christopher 
Christopher? Yes, Christopher, um, <laughs> with a cinnamon bun. Ha. Huh. Uh, which he that abandoned. That would do the trick. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he then abandons his twin sister, Chris Torn, uh, in the woods to go live with his new adopted family, the Kringles. And she uh, gets taken in by the Yule Witch, Lutzelfrau. Oh, I love the name. Right. And then so uh, to make a, you know, book size thing short, Christopher <laughs> learns his adopted father's trade and internalizes the, quote, strong sense of duty and hard work. Whereas Chris Torn lives a, quote, wild, carefree life in the forest. And eventually oh. she goes on a mission to go find her brother. So that sounds cool as heck. Uh, I'm really excited to give it a read. It's such an interesting take on like the Santa Claus story by like, you know, kind of putting him to the side and looking at someone else. Um, And I found out about this book through a interview with Aubrey Plaza on some sort of morning news channel. You could literally just Google like interview Aubrey Plaza Christmas witch and it'll be the first thing that pops up. And it's like a very typical morning news talk show type thing. And there's like three hosts and they're just like in no way prepared to talk to Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> Is anyone <laughs> like, ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like it, they've clearly done no research on who she is as a person or how she behaves typically during interviews. And so during that interview, though, she she wears this like silvery gown and like a red velvet cloak and a red velvet pointy hat. Looks amazing. And they asked her, you know, well, well, what gave you the idea to write a children's book or what made you want to write a children's book and why this book in particular? And Aubrey, you know, is says that it the idea came to her in a dream, you know, that, you know, it just it just was whispered in her ear. And the one host is like, oh, so it wasn't like your childhood dream to write, you know, children's books. And she's just like, no, you know, <laughs> like, um, they just they in no way. And so she's just, you know, becoming more and more herself. And at the end of the interview, she's like, you know, I curse you all. I curse you all. And then so when she starts to repeat it and like finish the phrase, they're all kind of freaking out because she said, I curse you all. And so they they talk over the part where she said, I curse you all to have happy holidays. Right. And then they're like, oh, that took a dark turn. And she's like, no, I, I said happy holidays. And and then she cackles. So perfectly, which they cut off because they were not ready. There are some versions that show her full cackle and and the interviewer's responses, which is primo. But uh, if you catch the one that the like news station actually put out, they promptly cut off her cackling. That is an injustice. Yeah, 100%. That's that's my news for the day. Well, coming back to this conversation we were having about the lack of Christmas witch representation in general. Mm-hmm. I think Wisteria's <laughs> attempt <laughs> to try to quantify that <laughs> error in society is testament to and also begs the question considering the u.s is a mishmash of cultures and traditions from all over the world 
why don't we have more Christmas witch representation going on in movies and pop culture? And I spent some time myself looking around for any holiday movies I could find featuring any kind of witch lore. And as far as, you know, witch lore and like folklore in general being portrayed in a positive light outside of Santa Claus and his reindeer and all of that, I could only find one Italian Christmas movie, which was an elaboration on La Bifana, but it's, you know, really slim pickings out there. Yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, I can say in the U.S., really, we don't have a a female figure who is attached to the Yuletide season other than Mrs. Claus. And right. um, she doesn't really get near enough love. Um, you know, I think Angela Lansbury did. And I love Angela Lansbury. We'll be quoting her later. But um, she did a movie, um, I think, uh, starring as Mrs. Claus. But I mean, other than that, we really don't have much. Yeah. I watched Call Me Claus with Whoopi Goldberg Mm -hmm. in it. I think that's one of the only a woman become Santa Claus type narratives I've even heard (laughs) ever. Mm. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, as you were saying, culturally, we've got a very male dominated Yule even apart from the influence of Christmas as the nationally recognized major holiday of a patriarchal religion, just thinking about all of the male figures and gods and archetypes associated with Christmas and pagan Yule celebrations, and even the idea of Father Time at at the New Year. Mm Mm-hmm. And so in a Yuletide season that is beautiful and brutal and full of ice and death and introspection today we want to explore the reasons why in a season that's generally acknowledged at least by most pagans as having a lot to do with the feminine divine where exactly did representation of the feminine divine actually go and i'm not saying that i I'm not saying that I don't like Santa Claus. I personally love Santa Claus. I'm not saying that other masculine aspects of the holiday season are bad. I'm just as good with the birth of like a wild horned god in a glistening snowy forest as the next guy. (laughs) And I also really appreciate male characters like Ebenezer Scrooge and the thundering holly-crowned spirit who's like whipping him into shape. And the Krampus. Right, and Krampus. We all love Krampus. No, is Krampus male or... Krampus, kind of, I, th- Krampus I mean, they usually... Masculine, for sure. They usually portray him area. as being masculine, yeah. And um, also, I grew up Christian and I actually always... I really enjoy a candlelit Christmas Eve service, honestly. Yes, Sometimes... During the season, I like to take out a print that I have of Alex Gray's Christ Consciousness painting and, like, spend a little bit of time with that, just, like, looking at the details and, like, um, contemplating the meaning of that whole 
Christ type archetype or like in general, Jesus is not a bad guy, you know? But no. however, <laughs> even the monsters, as you were saying, like Krampus and like even there's like Yule lads, uh, Santa's reindeer are always portrayed as being the male gender. Um, <gasps> Lay the truth on them. A lot. (laughs) There's, it just seems like uh, there's a lot missing, actually, from the Yule season because of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think hyper focus on the masculine divine and the masculine. And so that is Mr. Goggle's mission today to delve into some Christmas witch folklore, conjure up. The Divine Feminine, um, as it relates to the winter solstice, hopefully strike at a better balance of representation throughout the Yuletide season. And in doing so, I think, discover some hidden aspects within ourselves, which can hopefully help to fortify our resolve through the coldest months. Here, here. And I think our first guide along this journey should be the Mother Deer Goddess, because... Contrary to representations of Santa's reindeer in pop culture, it's actually the reindeer doe who keeps her antlers during the winter season and leads the herd. I have no idea. During this the was coldest months. this was like mind blowing for me. Honestly, <laughs> when you told us about this, I was like, "What?" Yeah, it was I for me no too. Idea. When I first learned about this, I was like, "What?" And then I was just like permanently outraged. Um, (laughs) I don't think many Americans know about this, and how would they? Because in movies and stories and everywhere, we see reindeer who are supposedly male reindeer. However, and I, you know, like, on the East Coast here, we have stags that keep their antlers during the winter. But, like, those aren't Christmas deer. Christmas deer are reindeer. Um... Long before the Yule season became Christianized, since the early Neolithic, people of the North, which included the British Isles, Scandinavia, Russia, Siberia, and across the land bridge of the Bering Strait, who lived in communion with the reindeer and depended on them for survival, venerated the female reindeer as the life-giving mother figure. She was honored as a spiritual figure associated with fertility, motherhood, regeneration, and the rebirth of the sun, or, you know, the winter solstice. And Gathering Victoria has a great article titled, A Doe, A Deer, A Female Reindeer, The Spirit of Mother Christmas, which goes into greater detail about this topic. And she includes lots of pictures of different artifacts and pictures of the reindeer tattoos that were found on the body of an ancient mummified Siberian um, woman shaman, which to this day remains one of the coolest things I have ever seen, (laughs) even though I've only seen it on the internet. Those tattoos are so beautiful, and they speak to, like, an ancient truth that I think I didn't know I was missing out on until I saw them. And the article is also just really beautifully written, 
And she goes on to describe the connection between the reindeer and various other sun goddesses of the ancient world. So it's definitely something to add to your list of Yule perusal for some inspiration this season. Also pretty high on that list, you'll want to add the Kaliak of Ireland. And I'm not really sure how to pronounce things, so I want to apologize to anyone who is uh, in the UK and has better Gaelic pronunciation of things or knowledge that I don't. And also I'm American and I say things bad. Um, but to be fair, <laughs> I will say that doing research on her name, we did run into several different sources yeah. that each seem to have their own way of pronouncing it. Yeah, there's so we no got clear... everything from like Kaleok to Kyleok to Kowlock to Kowlick. There's no Kaleech passage Kyleech, for us Americans over Kaleech, here. Kaleech, <laughs> There was literally every single way you could think of pronouncing this name so we're doing our best please yeah. forgive us <laughs> please overlook my small failures as a human being um the Kaliak of ireland is also known as Kaliak burr and also called Bira in scotland and her name actually means hag uh she is a mighty Celtic ancestral hag goddess known as the Queen of Winter and the Veiled One. Bira was also believed to have created Scotland. The Kaliak is actually an earth goddess. In the spring, she would drink from the Well of Youth and transform into a goddess of unearthly beauty, and everything would be cheerful and all would be well with the land and the gods and the people. But as the seasons progressed, she would gradually progress with them, going from blonde to darker haired and eventually aging into her ultimate hag incarnation. Through her transformation, she would rage with frustration, creating hailstorms and slinging icy blasts. She used a giant hammer to wield thunder and shape the mountains, which she used as stepping stones for traveling the countryside while she dished out winter weather left and right. She also used the mountains to imprison her rowdy sons as punishment for their constant fighting. It's said that every year she washes her plaid dress in a whirlpool called the Corivrecken, again, like super apologies everyone, um, near the island of Jura. And the wash is so strong that her dress comes out as the white blanket of snow which covers everything in the winter time. Though neither good nor evil, she was said to be cruel and foul-tempered, and is described as having one eye, crooked brown or red teeth, white hair, and dark blue skin. Like how freaking cool <laughs> is that? That sounds amazing. She's like an Andorian, right. basically. In all from Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek. This is also any a Star excuse, Trek. <laughs> any excuse yeah. to reference Star Trek. <laughs> in all three Gaelic regions, she was a patron of wolves, which is interesting because that's very similar to Hecate. And in Scotland, she was also a deer herder. 
so again the mother deer connection basically she's just incredibly unfathomably cool pun not intended but also intended actually there are a ton <laughs> more fascinating details about the Kaliak and um, like beautiful, sometimes melancholy stories tied to her legacy and to the changes of the land and to people's experiences of the changes taking place in the landscape. But I just wanted to highlight her brutal winter goddess aspect, especially for our purposes here today. As we'll be circling back to revisit, the wisdom and power of the crone, TM, later on this episode. <laughs> For sure. And one yeah, last she sounds, thing. She sounds super badass. She's all I got super to say. incredibly badass. <laughs> incredibly so. I'm so glad that we got to learn about her because I didn't even really know about her. And she sounds like a deity who's like right up my alley. Uh, crone energy, winter energy. Love it. So she's often seen as being either like the other side of the coin when it comes to the spring goddess, like you said, Psychea. Uh, but there's, uh, I guess, different depictions based on where yeah. regionally you're talking about. I think so. And some of them say that she just turns to stone um, during oh, belting. I love that story. And I, have... I love that because I turn to stone similarly during the <laughs> yes. summer months and will not emerge from the air conditioning. Um, and also this one I felt tied into our uh, touching on the crone energy and how the crone kind of represents, much like winter, uh, something that nobody wants to go through or deal with and it's never really lauded for its beauty or appreciated for all of its wonderful aspects. Uh, it's just kind yeah. of sidelined. So in Scotland and Ireland, the first farmer to finish the grain harvest made a corn dolly, which is kind of like a scarecrow representing the Kyliak. And this would be called the Carlin or Carline uh, from the last sheaf of the crop. The figure would then be tossed into the field of a neighbor who had not yet finished bringing in their grain. Again, we go back to this dichotomy of like the winter crone goddess as being kind of like a finger wagging dowager school marm saying like, oh, did you do your taxes yet? <laughs> you know, it's like, you got to get your stuff done. You lazy, lazy blob. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, um, and if you do, then there are good things in store. If not, uh-oh. And the figure would then be tossed into the field of this neighbor who was, you know, lazy, did not bring in their grain. It would be me. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the implication would be that because the doll was resting on their property, they would have to take in and care for the Kyliok. And competition was fierce. <laughs> so everyone tried doing their stuff. It's like and a hot it potato. <laughs> yeah, because nobody wanted, and this was a quote, competition was fierce to avoid having to take in the old woman. Which wow. doesn't that say at all? Like, it, it reminds me so much of these situations where, like, there's, like, a problematic mother-in-law you know <laughs> type situation where she's like the old dowager and nobody wants to deal with her 
But yet, you know, she's given you the benefit of her cumulative collective experience. She's yeah, raised the, you. She's instilled she's the reason you the exist, best that she literally. Could. Yeah. And uh, all of that is so quickly forgotten and discarded. And I think that's really the root of that archetype suffering and also the almost fear that is uh, surrounding that aspect because there is this kind of like fear of judgment, maybe fear of becoming that fear mm. of the Denying truth that this figure already. will reveal because this reveal, this figure tends to reveal a lot is very transparent and truthful. And sometimes the truth is harsh <laughs> and um, you know, but there is a lot of like nuisance type energy associated with her, which I think is unwarranted. It's not nice. But I think it's symbolic of like winter. Everybody thinks, you know, even nowadays what you say winter or snow, don't say snow, don't say snow, don't jinx us because nobody wants to shovel or snow blow or whatever or drive in the snow, which I get. But there's also beauty there. And there's also a forced resignation, a forced pause, which I love about yeah. the winter, because when there is something like a blizzard, the world is just silenced. Everything stops. And uh, some people need to fill that that uh, silence with constant activity. And for them, particularly... Like the, the capitalist oligarchy needs to do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think for them, particularly, it's super problematic. Uh, this winter hag crone figure and the energy she represents. Yeah. And um, speaking of sort of fringe fringe women uh i'm sure most people will be at least somewhat familiar with italy's christmas witch la befana la befana is an old impoverished witch who delivers gifts to children or coal to bad children in italy on epiphany eve which is on january 6th she has broken shoes so she's traveling by broom and enters homes through keyholes or chimneys. Traditionally, she leaves the presents and candies in socks hanging by the fireplace, which is all very familiar. And people can leave her bread soaked in milk or wine as an offering, similarly to the way that people will leave Santa Claus cookies and a carrot for Rudolph, <laughs> which I think is like a newer... <laughs> A newer addition to the goodies plate. We always did it when I was a kid. So part of Italian traditions since the 8th century at least, legend has it that La Befana was an old woman who opened her home to the three wise men during their journey to Bethlehem. Later, they asked her if she wanted to come along and she was too busy cleaning. Like, I'm too busy cleaning to go see the Messiah. Like, <laughs> Move along, please. Me. You know, get off my floor so I can mop. <laughs> Supposedly, she regrets that decision later and attempts to follow the star, but doesn't make it to the manger with her gift in time. And she realizes later that this child is the Messiah, which is why now. In her regret of having missed that important event, 
She still sets out every year in homage to the Holy Infant, leaving Christmas goodies wherever she stops. And of course, that is the modern Christianized legend of La Befana, whose real origin lies in various pagan traditions of the area, such as the burning of an old lady <laughs> effigy to celebrate the end of the year, as well as Celtic rites practiced by folks who inhabited that area way back when, including the burning of wicker puppets and also the coal that La Befana leaves stems from a symbol of fertility connected to sacred bonfires and the Kepo, Chepo, again, apologies. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's Chepo, which nowadays is considered the Yule Log or a pyramid-shaped structure of wood, alternatively, which displays the nativity scene along with greenery and fruits and gifts, usually. Brooms also obviously have a huge pagan symbology dating way, way back, and an article on italyheritage.com also describes how in anthropology, the Epiphany, the last festivity of the Christmas period, is considered a celebration of renewal, announcing the coming of the new season. In the peasant culture, that was the moment when forecasts and predictions on the future were drawn, and people used to sit around the fireplace telling fantastic tales. On that magical night, our great-grandparents used to look into the future, interpreting natural phenomena. So, very witchy connection in the region previously prior to Christianization. There's also an Italian superstition, which I think persists to this day, which is that babies born at midnight on Christmas are at risk of transforming into werewolves or the strega, which is the Italian word for witch, depending on the gender, of course. And so then certain actions need to be taken to prevent that from happening when you have a child who's born on Christmas. Also for our purposes today, I think it's important to mention Mother's Night, or Modranit, which, again, <laughs> if, there's a, if there's a hell, I'm going to pronunciation hell after this. <laughs> Mother's Night was a pagan Anglo-Saxon holiday on what is now Christmas Eve, though some sources described it as happening around the new year. There isn't a ton of information available about it because it was eventually overshadowed by Christmas Eve, and so the details of the rites were forgotten with time. But in 725 AD, Saint Bede, or Bede, described it as a night when people would stay up the whole night keeping watch and performing certain ceremonies. The rites could have been related to ancient Germanic or Celtic goddesses called the Matronae or the Matres. And in the Orkney Islands, there's Helia's Night, which according to an article on orkneyjar.com, this was the night that saw the children of each household committed into the protection of Midder Mary or Mother Mary. And to quote the article, the mother connection and the watching ceremonies of Mother's Night seem to indicate that Helia's Night was that same uh, Mother's Night event 
although overlaid with a Christian veneer. On Helia's night, just as the children had once been committed to the protection of a goddess ancestor or the female deities known as the Desir, the ceremony became Christianized and the mother was naturally equated with the Virgin Mary or Christ's mother. The Desir are really interesting. They are Norse female ancestral spirits or guardians translated literally to goddess or woman but according to norsemythology.org it's impossible to cleanly separate the Desir from other kinds of spiritual beings recognized by the ancient Germanic peoples such as the Valkyries that help Odin as well as the land spirits at times referred to as land Desir in Norway and Ireland, there was a festival known as the Disablot, sacrifice to the Deeser, and took place at the beginning of winter. In Sweden, the Disting, or Disapping, I, I think, which is basically Deeser Assembly, was held at the beginning of February. So, Mother's Night appears to be the Anglo-Saxon counterpart of these ancient rites. An account written in the 19th century recounts the experience of one woman who actually remembered her grandmother essentially reciting these certain rites over the youngest child while the children were sleeping on Mother's Night. And she also recalled that possibly her grandfather recited something as he was raking the peats in the hearth and the woman remembered the full incantation her grandmother recited but not really any of what her grandfather was saying i don't dare try to read it out loud <laughs> myself because i'm not from the 19th century orkney islands but if you want to read it yourself you can visit www.orkneyjar.com slash tradition slash yule slash yule3.htm <laughs> Basically, all in all, there's just so much evidence of ancient pagan traditions and stories concerning the divine feminine, ancestral mothers, the hag figure, the crone archetype, and matriarchal wisdom and um, nurturers around this time of year that it honestly doesn't make any sense to me how all of the emphasis is placed on the birth of a male child or the fight between the holly king and the oak king which by the way was a story created by robert graves and isn't even really an ancient right in itself Well, yeah, I think, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want, you can go. No, you go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, as, as we've been getting into this a little bit and, you know, from what I've researched as well, what we're about to continue to, to discuss what it really, uh, you know, sounds to me like initially most, if not all original sort of societies and cultures were matriarchal in nature, I believe. I, I feel like I've read that in a number of sources. There's definitely mm -hmm. and, strong evidence of yeah, a lot more um, matriarchal cultures than exist nowadays. Right. 
So, you know, if you think of what the head, what the most powerful, like, feminine of a matriarchal culture would be, it would be the wise crone, essentially. So in transitioning to making the patriarchy, we have to take the crone down. So in order to do that, we make her, you know, nitpicky and, like, attacky. (laughs) And we make her, like... Yeah, just, you know, a a thing nobody wants to be around and not to take seriously unless she's going to come kill you for not doing your chores. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Making her a huge pain in the ass also kind of, like, villainizes her in a way that would, by default, not canonize, but make... Devalues. Devalues, and it makes the complaining party by nature seem more virtuous uh mm-hmm. they're not like that uh, you know no matter what kind of raping and pillaging and horrible shit they're doing at least they're not annoying uh, <laughs> you know don't remind me i've got to do my chores you know and honestly a lot of the things that um this crone winter hag mother archetype is faulted for she's honestly trying to perpetuate the livelihood and the life of the tribe she's connected to she's trying to tell you okay gang (laughs) let's all make sure that we've got enough provisions for the winter because uh the weather's gonna be a howling you know howling mad wind lots of snow ice and you know there's gonna be dead crops not a lot of stuff to eat so we're gonna have to really gather everything up and blah 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 and you over there you know make sure that you got it and then that person was like oh no you do not talk to me that way and then forget about it it was all over for her and uh that's very sad because i think that honestly she's a well-intentioned figure she can be frightening just like the but you have to be because the prospect of dying in the winter of starvation is more frightening (laughs) yeah so i mean yeah like everything that she's nagging about is stuff that you should do so you don't die yeah yeah Yeah, nobody wants the crone around reminding you of death but if you're not reminded of death regularly, then you might be, I don't know, a foolish... Dead person. <laughs> you, might be, you might be a foolish misogynist who yeah. devalues everyone mm. around you your whole life without ever stopping and considering the inherent mm-hmm. worth of other humans. And Just a thought. womanly <laughs> wisdom, like, uh, uh, like a woman's warning might not carry as much weight as like let's say to this misogynistic you know for instance person uh as you know a male would and this also goes back to uh, a conversation which you know can't believe i'm referencing this but sex in the city and sarah jessica parker (laughs) and and just like that uh, I, you know, I, I know way too much about it. None of it because I want to, but it's all been <laughs> secondhand information. And, you know, I've heard that, like, people have been tearing her apart now that that show is up, um, you know, because she's got, all of them have visible signs of aging. And meanwhile, she would uh, be seen with um, 
who's that handsome chunk of change? What's his name? Uh, Andy Cohen, I think, is her friend, and he's got like the salt and pepper hair, and you know, of course, with a man, it's just like fine. Nobody says anything, but when a woman actually trespasses from and traverses from the springtime of her life to the autumn and the fall in terms of actually visibly aging, then this is an unforgivable sin. And she, you know, it's fully warranted that the public, especially if it's a public figure, they can just chew and pick her apart for that. And this goes into another double standard against the crown and the mm-hmm. um, the just misogynistic nature of, you know, I, I just, I have to say, it, it really, once you figure out the patterns, it's just like, oh my God, it's, it makes so much yeah. sense. Like it's, it's the winter is a stand in for this wise old woman and the very same people who hate winter and hate old women let me tell you something they hate cats and they also hate pineapple <laughs> on pizza yes they people do who... yes they do because those things are considered female coded cats pineapple on pizza blah blah blah, blah. and every I person that I've met... pizza. yeah it's true it's a I, very i didn't make the thing. pizza connection myself but i think Along that same vein, you know, I would love to do an episode sometime about ecofeminism because I feel like those who seek to dismiss the natural world are often the same as those who are seeking to dismiss the inherent value in the in that which is feminine in you know emotions in yes oh yes absolutely yes mm-hmm. yeah so all of that we're going to talk about that sometime mm-hmm. so in uh doing some of this research uh aside from crone winter associations i, I actually found a folklore tale from Russia and again as Psykia has stated numerous times, please forgive any mispronunciations um, I believe it is Snigorochka that's my best guess, I'm not gonna try it again, that I will hear you refer right to that sounds really legit <laughs> that I like sounds that. incredibly <laughs> like, legit <laughs> I hope so <laughs> Um, but she will be here to referred to as uh, heretofore referred to as Snow Maiden to make mm-hmm. my life easier. Ultimately, uh, I will just say that like this, I'm gonna do a brief and certainly more modernized and English, uh, you know, version of this story. It is a beautiful story, and so I hope that my modernization of it doesn't seem insulting because that's not my intention. Um, So here we go. So this folklore is that there's an elderly couple and they're, you know, woodcutters and they have no kids. They're super bummed out about that. And they go into the forest. They make a daughter out of snow. I'm guessing kind of teenager-ish age. They pray really hard and she comes alive, um, which is super cool. And, uh, you know, obviously she's super pale because she's made out of snow. She's obviously also, because of beauty standards, she's gorgeous. She's got (laughs) sparkles in her eyes. But there's definitely something a little off-putting, like, you know, 
she has no blood. Like you can kind of tell <laughs> when you look at her that something's not right because there's, you know, and that not right is probably the lack of blood. Anyway. So she comes alive and she's like, I totally want to be your guys' daughter. Let's head home. And they were like, Rad, let's do this. So they're home. She's totally beautiful, does all the chores, helps out and stuff. Uh, but then the mom is like, you know, this isn't how kids are. You got to get out, hang out with some other people. Can't be hanging around the house. She's like, no, thank you. I'd rather just stay home. And eventually, you know, this carnival comes to town and, uh, you know, after the insistence from the mother and this carnival, she can't resist. Snow Maiden heads out into the world and she meets like people her age, including another key character, the town hottie uh, uh, and and also a, you know, farmer boy type character. Ooh. And, um, you know, they all hang out. They get along <laughs> like gangbusters. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know, her and this farmer boy like fall in love and stuff. They have a great time until right essentially this merchant man comes through town and he's you know got the town hottie as a side piece but when he sees the snow maiden he's like hit the road town hottie and <laughs> she's crushed you know meanwhile the snow maiden's like nah bro i don't want anything to do with you and uh you know i, I reject your proposal of marriage etc hit the, hit the road so the town hottie though she's like super crushed and she goes to the czar to be like this man cannot ruin me and have there be no repercussion however when when she gets to the czar she poses to the czar that the snow maiden stole her man she doesn't go to try to be like this dude screwed me over she goes to be like the snow maiden screwed me over mm. So the czar summoned the snow maiden. She shows up. She's like, I didn't do crap. I didn't flirt with this guy. I didn't lead him on. Like, he's just a jerk. It wasn't me. And the czar looks into her eyes and sees them sparkle. And he's like, ah, oh, you can't possibly lie if you look like that. So, uh, <laughs> so she gets to, you know, the snow maiden gets to like head back home. Everything's all good. However, the town hottie, super crushed, also very pissed off now that she has no like recourse for what has been done to her. And so her decision then is to like rip off all of her clothes and jewelry and chuck herself into a well. Oh no. It's a little over dramatic. But that then obviously depresses the hell out of our snow maiden. She doesn't leave the house anymore. She's, you know, super bummed about someone committing suicide because of something she was sort of affiliated with. Um eventually you know, the springtime comes and the farmer boy lures her out of the house finally to just like have some fun, you know, enjoy herself a little bit. She finally agrees. They go to some nice spot in the woods and he starts playing the flute for her. But it's springtime and essentially she like melts and turns into mist. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's, no. you know, that's it's rough, you guys. <laughs> that's so. That is such a Story. Reminiscent yeah. of Frosty the Snowman. Yes. And then, you know, when you think of, like, folklore and what, what the point of folklore is, and so I'm, like, you know, trying to be like, well, what's the message here? That, like, obviously, like, women being valued on their looks and... You Chastity. Know, uh, 
Yes, mm-hmm. and right, don't sleep with someone without, you know, marrying them because then you're ruined. And that was like literally the word of the story, ruined. Jealousy and misdirected anger towards, from and towards other women when it should be at yes, the dudes. that female sh- If she was going to end it all, she should have poisoned him first. Yeah, at least, right? Right. Come yeah. on, go out with a bang, lady. The idea that <laughs> I mean, there's... she did, but... <laughs> The idea that there's only one, there's one woman spot available because the patriarchy does not open up more spots for women. (laughs) And so there's one spot available. And so women are expected to compete for that spot. And what are they Mm. competing for, really? They're competing for the male gaze so that they Mm. can acquire this, this one... (laughs) This one spot that's available. Maintain, like, a position of power. That's what it is. It's like, the, right, the like only, power. The only right. spot with dignity that you are allowed. And so, yeah, yeah it's a bunch of hoo-ha, really. And disgusting. It's, yeah. it's an illusion. They're just messing with you. Uh, women don't have to compete against one another for a limited number of spots in society. There are plenty of spots available. And so let's fix the story. Let's fix the The farmer boy, the other guy with the town hottie, and the czar all get dragged into the well. No, the, the farmer boy was chill. He was okay, chill. No, he was okay, so we so can leave him alone. Happy relationship. He was chill. Leave him alone. So then the czar and the guy with the town hottie get dragged into the well. Yes. Or they get... Uh, coerced into there like the by the town hottie lady and she's like yeah come into the well there's something in there there's like frogs or something i don't know it was really weird with the plumbing (laughs) and they're like oh my god okay and then she pushes them in and then snegorochka with her magical ice powers just like looks with her sparkling eyes and like freezes over the well and they can't get out and then they die in there and they drown in the frozen well water and then everyone's happy and then they all go out for like ice cream and then like um the farmer boy happens to have a really hot like older brother or cousin and he ends up with the town hottie and they go on double dates and it's like archie and veronica and betty and uh jughead bingo bongo a a new yule story is born (laughs) keep on the lookout for (laughs) sister celine's future book (laughs) <laughs> remixed folklore for a modern age uh yeah she wasn't uh exactly yule but tied into the whole winter spiel sure. that we're working on here today someone who is a little more yule centric is lutzel frau which i mentioned when i was talking about aubrey plaza's book because she was the guiding witch to the main character uh, she's known as the Yule Witch. She comes from German, Slovenia, and Croatia areas. And um, up until the 16th century or so, December 13th was considered the shortest day of the year. And uh, popular belief at that time was that witches were particularly powerful on that day. I found, as I'm sure you two did as well, in trying to research a lot of this, Especially not, you know, being native speakers of, you know, the languages that are referencing all of this folklore. 
finding more details about this person was rather difficult. It felt like every website I looked at just had the same little teeny paragraph. And they do, they Um, like copy one another also. (laughs) Yes. They all have the same blurb. I did find a German website that you can pick German or English, which I cannot possibly pronounce the website. Um, But they also referred, and this was like, I've only saw this in one spot, but I, and I don't have any further detail, but I found it pretty funny. Called her poodle woman, poodle, poodle woman. (laughs) I I have no further on that. I just thought it was funny. So I wanted to throw it in there. Is that possibly Um, a confusion that happened? (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's not just a translation issue. But I only saw it in one spot, and it was actually on the German website. So, um, Hmm. you know, I trust that source a little bit more than most others. But uh, anywho, so she uh, appears to have two very different sides to her. On on one side, uh, you know, she is beautiful and gives gifts of, like, apples, nuts, and dried plums to children on December 13th. Uh, she's a, you know, gorgeous, benevolent type entity. And on the other hand, of course, she's like this ugly crone who punished children. The words that I found to describe the punishment were eviscerate hmm. or Ooh. drown. Oof. So pretty extreme. And, uh, you know, it was specifically geared towards children who broke Christmas traditions she also punished adults who ignored certain prohibitions on December 13th specifically. So a note on that I would like to say is that I can't help but wonder if Lutzelfrau was actually a beautiful, gift-giving, wonderful person, uh, a Yule witch, and then when the Christians came along, they're like, oh, we can't have a positive, powerful, feminine influence. We need to make her ugly, and she needs to punish people who don't you know, follow Christmas traditions. Mm -hmm. December 13th in Christianity is the Feast of St. Lucy or St. Lucy's Day, right? So what I found out is that um, since December 13th was originally considered a very powerful witch day, they personified that witch and named her Lucia. The quote I found about the version of Lucia who punishes the adults goes as follows. Anyone who works with a needle on Lucia Day sews or knits the buttocks of the chickens so they cannot lay. Uh. Which (laughs) uh, is kind of funny sounding, but, you know, it's just another indication of you getting punished for doing a thing and your punishment is starvation. Mm. You know, the same sort of winter, winter themes here. So it's interesting that St. Lucy, I found out, because also I had a very hard time finding things about Lutzelfrau without finding more about St. Lucy, because that's the Christian version of mm-hmm. what's going on here. So uh, she was a virgin martyr, of course, uh, who brought food and aid to Christians hiding in Roman catacombs, and she's the uh, person who originally wore the candle-lit wreath around her head. You know, it's very common in Christmassy, Yuli representation. Uh, and that was so she could carry more food down into these Christians to save them. So it's almost like, you know, they, they had this positive Yule witch, Lutzelfrau person. 
and combined, you know, took two different directions with co-opting, you know, this pagan character in one way, you know, turned her into St. Lucy of Virgin Martyr who brought food. Uh, and then on the other hand, making her this ugly, cruel witch who punishes children for not following Christmas tradition. Uh, right. Yeah. So, I mean, the difficulty, I mean, again, the language issues is certainly a, a big one and, you know, not having a very handy translation tool on my phone computer would be different. But uh, I think that kind of holds up a lot of research. But what I was able to find, I think, clearly shows what Christianity co-opted in this case. Yeah, I think I've seen some references to traditions in other parts of the world where they will choose a girl to like basically embody be this saint lucia character and perform Mm. a certain task and i was always like well that's like a cute thing (laughs) that Mm. sounds nice but then if you think about it as you think about the whole backstory involved and the fact that these girls are being chosen to you know emanate this this like virgin innocent kind of persona around the christmas holiday like if you're mm. if you're going to be a female who's around during the yuletide season then you best be <laughs> either <laughs> mrs claus or an angelic <laughs> virginal you know yeah those are our options yeah those are the options so that's all I really have on, on mine. That's, that's all I've got. Well, I love those stories. I thought they were great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is Psyche Rose popping in post-recording with a quick afterthought for your further Yuletide consideration. As Wisteria mentioned, once upon a time on calendars predating the 1700s, the winter solstice used to fall on December 13th. Interestingly, in Norway, this longest night was once known as Lucy Longnat or Lucy Long Night. According to an article on NorwegianAmerican.com, Lucy, spelled L-U-S-S-I, in this case was a dark figure, similar to a reverse sun goddess who had been revered in ancient Rome. Her name comes from the word lux, meaning light in Latin. At that time in history, Yule was obviously an incredibly important time in Scandinavia and Northern Europe. Basically, everyone had to finish any and all work for the entire year before the solstice took place. This included spinning yarn, cleaning, threshing, and slaughtering. In the olden days, by the way, you would slaughter animals for sacrifice, but also in many cases you would slaughter the ones who weren't expected to be healthy enough to make it through the harsh winter. Rough times. Anyway, if folks didn't finish all of their work in time, they feared the wrath of Lucy. Similarly to Lutzelfrau, Frau Holda, and other Yuletide witches, Lucy came with a terrifying entourage of fearsome spirits, demons, trolls, or the undead. Known as the Wild Hunt or Oscare in Scandinavia, or Luciferda in Sweden. Lucy was said to smash chimneys, and her posse would abduct adults and children. As a result, there were traditions around staying up all night to keep watch, 
and people would hang axes, knives, and scissors on their doors, in addition to painting crosses everywhere. Children would write the word Lucy on doors, fences, and walls, and fires called Lucy fires were burned to celebrate the return of the sun. Considering all of this, it's fascinating to realize Lutzelfrau as a dark luce, part of the same traditions as both Lucy Longnight and St. Lucy's Day, in what is now an intermingling of both pagan and Christian traditions, and on a date which no longer falls on the solstice. Lucy became intermingled with St. Lucy or Santa Lucia, who was a 4th century martyr, as her Christian-friendly counterpart sometime in the Middle Ages. It's also interesting to consider the common tradition of keeping watch all night long, both in the case of Lucinaten in Norway and the Anglo-Saxon Modrenacht or Mother's Night or Helia's Night in the Orkney Islands. Ancient pagan beliefs concerning the return of spirits during the solstice night and of heightened magical powers for witchcraft and divination are also of note. So put that in your Book of Shadows if you want. I mean, nobody's forcing you, but why not? To quote Norwegian-Americans' article, titled On the Darkest Day, A Tale of Two Lucys, as it pertains to the point Wisteria was making, Norse myth tells that the sun was a goddess named Sol or Sunna, who drove a chariot across the sky on an eternal flight to escape the devouring darkness. Throughout history, there has been some goddess figure associated with the return of the sun. As for Lucy's dark and terrifying characteristics, perhaps she is the victim of gossip, the telling of tall tales by those who don't want to see her receive the honor she may deserve as a sun goddess, bringing the return of the sun. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program. You have reached the end of part one of Miss Dogoggle's Winter Solstice episode. For the full experience, please be sure to listen to part two.